doing the work of inviting people is difficult. And so I want to just sort of have some real conversation. We've been spending the last couple weeks um, just kind of like breaking some stuff down and having real conversations about uh, practical ways in which we live into that, right? There'll come a time where I'll get to go back to doing some of the stuff that I really like and we're going to just dig in and we're going to exegete scripture and it's going to be amazing and exciting. But right now, we just need to get into the practical stuff of what does it mean to meet people where they are and love them exactly where they are uh, in a way that doesn't terrify us. Because uh, fear is one of those things that um, sort of paralyzes us. We talked a, a couple weeks about um, when the Jews were getting together again to rebuild the temple in Ezra, as we're studying in Ezra, and they got sort of bombarded by discouragement. And discouragement is one thing, but fear is something even sharper, even more um, stop dead in our tracks. We don't do things out of them. And it started to, as I was thinking about fear and what it does and what, how it's played out in my life, I actually, um, I'm a kid of the 90s, so I was in school, like middle school, circa, I don't know, what, 90. Two? Shut up, Caitlin. Caitlin's doing a face like, how old were you in 1992, Caitlin? Four. Awesome. Great. That's fine. Uh, but then the other, Marcel, how old were you? Okay, I don't know. He can't do the math. Anyway, there were these shirts, and I remember them like it was yesterday because I wanted a shirt so bad. So if you are around 40-ish, you'll remember there are these fear not shirts. And so can you, can you show one real quick here? So they had like sayings on the back. Most of them were associated with like something of sports. But yeah, if you're not living on the edge, you're, not take, you're taking up too much space. No fear. Absolutely, positively, most definitely, without a doubt, no fear. Not even a little bit. And then this is like the sports one, right? So they had a lot of these kind of ones. Bottom of the ninth, down by three, bases loaded, full count, two outs, no fear. And I wanted one so bad, but I think they must have been expensive because Kathy Longcore said no. And I did not get to have one. But that was sort of this thing, this idea that like whatever kind of comes your way, like we will face it and we will not, we will not be scared. Kind of that locker room like, where everybody's like, oh, oh, oh. and they just, there's lots of grunting and exciting. And it's a thing like, we're not afraid. We're going to go out there and we're going to kill them. We're not going to do that. Don't worry. Like, I know some people are like, I see where she's going with this. I feel like maybe... So as I'm kind of looking around uh, and doing just some sort of minor Google searches, what are people afraid of these days? And it was interesting because I, I, kind of depending on what you put in your Google search, these are things right now in the United States it, that people are afraid of, and it's corrupt government officials. I'm not making this up. This is pulled directly from Google. <laughs> we all know everything on there is the truth. Uh, pollution of oceans, rivers, and lakes. The pollution of drinking water, not having enough money. Um, people I love becoming seriously ill, people I love dying, air pollution, the extinction of the planet and animal species, global warming and climate change, and high medical bills. Those are, all, those are the top fears of, of people um, when you add, when I think like 2,000 people, I think, in this particular uh, poll uh, were represented, which is interesting. We're, we're, we're worried and we're fearful, and fear stops us from doing things. But then there's other things. Like, when I ask people to pray, you can hear, and then it gets so quiet. They don't look directly at me. They, like, look down at their shoes. Because speaking out loud, even in front of a small group of people, freaks people out. 
Standing up in front of here, they're like, I'll do anything you want me to do, but I will not do that. There are people that have said that to me before. <laughs> Whatever you want. I'll do all the behind-the-scenes things, but I'm not doing that. So some people, we have all different kinds of things that we're afraid of. And that actually made me think of, well, Charlie Brown's one of my favorite things ever. So Charlie Brown, Christmas. We better pinpoint your fears. If we can find out what you're afraid of, we can label it. Are you afraid of responsibility? If you are, then you have hypengeophobia. I don't think that's quite it. How about cats? If you're afraid of cats, you have aneurophasia. Well, sort of, but I'm not sure. Are you afraid of staircases? If you are, then you have climacophobia. Maybe you have thalassophobia. This is fear of the ocean. Or jephorobia, which is the fear of crossing bridges. Or maybe you have pantophobia. Do you think you have pantophobia? What's pantophobia? The fear of everything. Fear of everything. It's like that, of all the things, that's the one. I'm afraid of those things. So it's just interesting, the things. And maybe you have things, or you can remember moments in your life. Like, when you're a kid, maybe you're scared of, of uh, you know, of doing things. Like, I remember I was afraid to learn how to, like, be on the monkey bars and hang upside down. I remember being fearful of that. My friends were trying to teach me how to do that. And I remember being like, I don't know. I don't know. And I'd get kind of scared and nervous. But when I think about my life in, in the bigger picture, I remember what it was like to be dropped off at college for the first time. I was extremely excited to go, but then I, my mom started to pull away, and I was like, <laughs> and you would have thought I would, she was like dropping me off to prison is what she, poor woman, felt like. You're going up. Maybe some of you have felt that way. There's a little bit of fear in, um, on your wedding day. Right? You're excited about all the good things and it's amazing. There's that little part of you that's just like, okay, we're doing it. Like, we're, this is it. We're, we're, I'm going to walk down that aisle and I'm going to marry that other person. And they still do things that drive me crazy. <laughs> what am I going to do? Right? Maybe you're, you're going to become or you remember what it's like to be a parent for the first time. And there's all these fears, right, about how's it going to be and what's it going to be. And there's things that leading up to when the baby's born. But then the baby's born you're like, and now what? I've got to baby-proof the house, and I've got to do it, and what if they get sick, and what if they get, and what if, and what if? And we sort of get overcome by fear, and it can sort of stop us in our tracks a little bit. But really, when we get fearful, and we get anxious about things, it's a normal human response to just living our lives. But it's generally, when I think about all the reasons to be afraid of stuff, it tends to be um, this fear of not knowing what's next. We're afraid of the not knowing. That's what makes us fearful of these things because we can't guarantee how it's going to turn out. can't guarantee how this whole parenthood thing is going to go for you guys. I think you're going to be great. I hope you're going to be great. I believe you will be great, <laughs> right? And, and, and we do that when we encounter marriage and all those things. And I think about this when it comes to our church, when I pray for our church, and I hope that we do the things that we said we were going to do. And there's always a little bit of fear in that because I can't guarantee it. I don't know what's going to come next. So we have all these sort of moments of not being able to see around the corner of the way things are going to be, and they can just sort of stop us from doing anything. Sometimes we can become paralyzed by it. If you had a bad experience doing something, you might not want to do that thing again, right? You're like, I went on a roller coaster for the first time, and it was terrible, and I threw up. You are never going to go again, even if it was 20 years ago and you might love it now. It's like this, the, 
the remembering of the fear. You have things in your life that, that you can conjure up of those fearful sort of moments. Fear is the kind of thing that can stop us in our tracks and keep us from moving forward. So what I want to do is a little bit of just have a practical conversation of what it means to build this church together. We have a building. There's been people in and out who've done amazing things. and We've done the work of building this place. We have a space. And for the last seven months, it's been just us. Right? We've gotten to know each other a little bit. We've had some fun together. We've done some... Uh, we've done some bonfires. We've attempted to do a bonfire. <laughs> Last week was fun. A bunch of us got together and we looked at Brian and um, Lynn and Jeff and Steph's pictures of um, Africa, which was fun just to be back in the space. And it was like the old, if you're my age, maybe you remember going to grandma's house and watching slides. This is us in front of Disneyland. And the slides go. It's a little easier now. But we're doing, right, we're doing the work of getting to know each other. And I don't want those things to stop. We want to live into this wonderful space that we are uh, a certain size. And we get to stay sort of that way um, for a while. And there's some goodness in that. As we bring people on, as we start to meet people and say hello, we get to bring them in to this and invite them along to, to exactly what we're doing. And then we get to know them. But in two weeks... We're going to let the community know that we're here. We're going to send out invitations. And, and hopefully we're going to have some here that you can actually physically give to people. Just sort of this moment of saying, we want you to be in this place. This is what we're doing. We're alive in Granville. And I've been uh, going here for the last seven months. And here's why I love it. We've talked in the last seven months in some way or another about what it means to get to know our neighbor to be in relationship with people, but to, in those relationships, be like Jesus. We spent the first half um, talking and, and kind of looking apart and taking a part of uh, the actual ministry of Jesus. The way that he was and who he spent time with and the fact that he was never hanging out with the religious people, but he was always hanging out with people on the fringes. And we talked about that. And then we moved into this series of getting to know your neighbor and creating new patterns in our lives, room to meet people, to know people, to, to, to live this lifestyle of invitation, inviting people into something. Because some of you have people, and they're all in different places. But what does it look like to make room in your lives for people? To start a new conversation, to go to your usual coffee, sh coffee shop and have the conversation with the barista that you see every single day. Maybe you're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, today, today's the day. I'm going to ask what his name is, <laughs> right? You go to those cool, the cooler the coffee shop you go to, they never wear name tags. I don't know, something about it. It's a wild roast. You got to guess. They don't have them up. And you do that and you tell yourself, I'm going to do it. This is the day that I'm going to go and I'm going to say hello to my neighbor or I'm going to go and I'm going to volunteer for this thing I've been talking about for a long time. We didn't have church one day, and then there was an assignment for you to go and try to invite somebody to do something with you. And you said, I'm going to do it. I promise I am. I'm going to feel good about it. But something stopped you. It's fear. And I think it's a fear of, we walk around with fear of rejection. Fear of rejection, fear of embarrassment, and fear of that, like, having awkward conversations. Or as the kids say now, cringy. It's so cringy. 
Your, are your kids saying that? My, my 13-year-old nephew says it all the time. I was like, oh, it's so cringy. Quiet. I'm not cringy. I'm awesome. <laughs> when you think about all these things, these relationships, what do you have to lose? To, to, to be invitational, to, to, have the in, to, to, to have the conversation, to say, you're invited. What do we really have to lose? I, I get it. I have a big personality, and sometimes people say, Carrie, that's, that's how you were built. That's how you were made. It's easy for you. In some ways, it might be easier for me than for some of you. But I live in Hudsonville on, 30, on 32nd Street, so kind of by the Hudsonville Water Tower, back and tucked in, into some condos. And I noticed this couple that I would see every once in a while walking down 32nd to Family Fair. And they're always walking with shopping bags. Weird. I just don't see that in Hudsonville very much, right? And so I was like, I'm just kind of wondering. And, and I, I kind of didn't think about it. And then I saw that same couple. They're, they're young, younger. And they were sitting on the sidewalk. There's sort of a house uh, on the corner. And then when you come into the condos, there's a couple houses, and then the rest are all, you know, our condo development. And they were sitting on the sidewalk, like sharing a video watching their phone. Well, that's weird. Why are they sitting on the sidewalk? So I just kept thinking, like, what, what is, I just don't see, that. what is happening? They are kind of, were an old, like, uh, uh, they weren't, like, kids. Then I kept thinking, they're not homeless, are they? They're not. It's Hudsonville. It's downtown Hudsonville. It's not. And so then I didn't think about it. Because what, what if I talk to them and they're not and it gets super awkward? Like how do I go up and say, well, I have all these connections with my friends that love in the name of Christ, right? And I work there and they taught me what to do and I can go and walk them down and make, get, talk to Melissa and they'll have an intake and they'll get all the things they need. I can make this happen. But what if they're not? That's so embarrassing. And so I didn't. I said nothing. I talked to other people about it. <laughs> They said, I think there might be. And then I saw them again the next day carrying their groceries in. And they were, but they carried them and they went like not in the house, but they went around like in between the gates. And there's like this big sort of backyard area back there. And I was like, oh my gosh, they're living in these people's backyards. I thought for sure I figured it out, right? I'm like, this has got to be it. So a couple more days go by and I was like, the next time I see them, I'm going to do it. I'm going to at least engage in a conversation. I can do this. Oh, I saw them. And they're sitting outside, on their, both on their phones, sitting crisscross applesauce on the sidewalk, going in, and they were um, smoking cigarettes. Okay, so I drove the car in, noticed them, and I drove all the way back to my condo. The whole time being like, no, this, I said I was going to do this, it's going to be, I'm doing it. And so I did one of these like, like, you know, almost <laughs> like it was a locker room moment for me, right? Like I was going, and so, and so I go in the car and I drive back to the, to the front and I just pull up and started a very awkward conversation with this couple who turns out not at all homeless. <laughs> nope. What I can figure out is they are a young, younger couple that uh, have now have moved back in with their parents because I see them riding their bike a lot, those kinds of things. So I think they're getting back on their feet. But they're like, no, 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 we live here. That's our parents, and then we just don't like to smoke near the house. Okay, cool, cool. Well, that's cool, cool. Well, it's cool, and I just said cool a lot and fine. <laughs> 
there was nothing about it that wasn't awkward. There was nothing about it that wasn't cringy. There was, it, was, it was a weird conversation. But now when I see Jason and Melissa, we now like, Jason and Melissa, how are you? I gave Jason a ride to um, Family Fair. I said, I'll bring you. I said, I, I'm, I'm on my way somewhere else. I was like, ah, I'll walk back. It's a nice day because I now know them. But it's, I get it. It's this fear that stops us from doing it, and we have nothing else to lose except for our pride. This idea that we're rejected or that we are um, going to do it wrong. But you're offering the gospel. You're offering an opportunity for people to meet Jesus. They are having a good time in there. Josh, will you put this next slide? The prophet Isaiah reminds the people of who God is when he says, For this is what the Lord says, He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhibited. He, he says, I am the Lord, and though it, there is no other God. I'm the same God that spoke the world into being. I alone have authority, and there was no one like me. Did you forget? Here's your reminder. That's who I am. And then he goes on in, in Isaiah 43 to say this. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. I've got you. You will be fine. I get that you're scared. I understand that. Scripture mentions some sort of variation of do not be afraid, fear not, all those kinds of things, 365 times. I find that to be interesting. You can read a scripture about not being afraid every single day of the year because it's something that he wants you to understand because we have to release ourselves from fear because the responsibility doesn't fall on you. I have to tell my things, my, myself the same thing all the time. No one's salvation rests in whether or not I say the right things or if my sermon was good enough or if this place has the right things or the right kind of coffee or the right whatever. We have this, so we can do hard things. It's not up to me. My God has promised me that he has got me and that he will be with me. He'll be with us. Some of you know Danny Hart. Uh, Danny uh, was a Grand Valley student who was connected at Alive in Jenison. Um, I got to know her. She is still there and she serves as a um, youth group leader. Loving it. And anyway, she graduated college and, you know, when you graduate college, there's a, little, a lot of pressure to get a job. Like, what's this next thing? And Danny felt called to YWAM to go to Australia and serve for the next, I think it was six or nine months. And then at part of her trip, she would be in Australia for a little while, and then she would be basically traveling the globe. And she was terrified. But she felt called to do this thing. And so her mantra became, she sold these t-shirts, which I forgot to bring with me today. Mine is red. And it just says, do it afraid. Do it afraid. When you think of that scripture we talked a couple weeks about uh, weeks ago about Joshua, where he says, um, "Do not be afraid." I'm not saying you don't have to feel afraid. You may feel afraid, but there's no reason to be afraid. 
your feelings are fine, but we don't, what do we tell our kids all the time? You don't get to let your feelings control what it is that you do. I understand that you're upset. You don't get to throw a tantrum. I understand that you're scared and that you're fearful, but those are not the things that keep you from doing what God has called us to do. So we do it afraid. Ezra, as he's, as he's gathering people, remember people have been um, exiled and he's bringing them back together to, to, that are scattered to different parts of the, uh, the world and he's bringing them back together to bring some of them to literally take a pilgrimage to bring them to the temple. Some of them are going to work on it and build it. He's inviting them into this thing. Come back. We're going to gather together and we're going to go and we're going to do this thing together because we're going to rebuild the temple. Come on. He's inviting them in to something bigger. He's inviting them in to, to a purpose. For, for those people that have been away uh, and have been scattered, they've been without a relationship with God. Because in that day, the temple was their relationship. It was their connection. And they've been away from it. And we've got people here in our community that have been away. They've been away from church. They've been away from a faith community. And they've been away for lots of different reasons. But we want to help them come back. Because God is drawing people to himself. He's doing the work. He promises that he will, but he wants to use you. He wants you to invite them into something bigger. This is something bigger. This thing that we're trying to do together, it's bigger than Sunday morning. It's, 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 it's inviting people in to a relationship with Jesus that will change the way they live will change the way they interact, will change the way that they look at other people. If you go back to Ezra, you get to see the big conclusion in Ezra 6, 22. For seven days they celebrated with joy the festival of unleavened bread because the Lord had filled them with joy by changing the attitude of the king of Assyria so that he assisted them in the work on the house of God, the God of Israel. That's the whole deal. There's... There, God changed the heart of a king and said, you're not only going to not be against it, you're going to be for it and you're going to give your resources to all these things. God changed the heart of a king. There's no pressure. God took care of corrupt government and was working, that was working against him. God did all those things because God is drawing people to himself and he wants to use you. We've been talking, we haven't talked about it in a while, and that's, that's, that's on me. Circle of five. You have people in your life, <laughs> Lyndon. Uh, you have people in your life um, from different areas uh, of, of your life. Maybe you work with some. Some live in your neighborhood. Um, your, your circles of influence, as we say, the places you spend your time. You have. We, we're asking people to come up with five people that they wanted to pray for, that maybe they were ready for an invitation to be part of something different, to say yes to Jesus, maybe to say yes, maybe they've said yes to Jesus, but they've been saying no to church. I sometimes find, especially in this area, that's more true. Like, I'm still pretty down with, with Jesus, and I believe that God is exactly who he said he is, but the church, not so sure. Maybe they're on the cusp, and they're ready to, to be invited into something, a place where they can feel comfortable and loved and cared for. Not everybody on that list is going to be ready for an invitation to church. And I understand that, but they're ready for an invitation to your house. They're ready for an invitation to be a part of your life, but you're inviting them into something. We want to give you physical invitations so that, that you can 
hand things to people and say, if you're looking for something because I know you are, because I have a relationship with you, take this. I will, I will save a seat. I will pick you up. You can come back to this place called church. Because Alive in Granville has promised that we're going to lower the threshold so that you can be here. Even if you're here for one week to try something, you have to do the inviting. You have to get over the fear that paralyzes you to have awkward conversations with people and say, this is what I'm a part of. And we're not doing this so that we can uh, fill the seats and look like, oh, good. Church plants, they're real sketchy. We had enough people and now we're successful. I don't care about that. We're inviting people to have a relationship with Jesus, to bring people to the feet of Jesus, to have a conversation with somebody like you, that when you're brought in, you feel like you're home just for a minute. It's about inviting people to be part of the work that God is already doing, the power of invitation. Has anyone ever shoulder tapped you to do something? You weren't even sure you wanted to do it. Maybe it was something at work or... um, to, to serve on a committee or the board of something, and they say, would you like to do this? Because I think, here's what I see in you that would be, that I think you'd be perfect for this. Oh, that's pretty great. I guess I am kind of like that, right? There, this, 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 this power of invitation saying, I want you, I know you, and I care about you, and I think that this, you'd be a good fit for this. That's what we're doing with church, bless you. We're saying we think that you would be a good fit in this place, that you are welcomed in this place. We want you to have a faith community that will love you and point you back to God. And we're not going to let fear of awkward conversations get in our way. One of my favorite pieces of scripture is where Paul is in um, Thessalonica. And they've been, doing, um, they've been going around and preaching the gospel. And in Thessalonians 2, he says, um, we've been doing all these things, we've been preaching the gospel, and we've been working really hard so that we're not a burden to you because we don't want you to feel like you have to take care of us while we're here. We appreciate the help that you're giving us. And then he says this, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. We're not just inviting you to church for a moment but we're, we're inviting you into our lives to love each other, to care for each other, to be there when it goes completely awry and when you fall down and when you make mistakes and when you're embarrassed, we will still be standing right here. That's the kind of place we want to be. That's the kind of, that's the kind of ambassadors I need you to be, that we need to be. If we're going to help make things grow, if we're going to join uh, with God in the work that he's already doing, Fear's got no place because he promises it's not up to you, but I'm using you. So tell fear, take a back seat. I get invitations to hand out. You're inviting some people into something much bigger than yourselves. Amen.